This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Circuit of Success, and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I have the privilege of interviewing Chris Keeney. Chris, how are you doing today? Hi, Brett. I'm doing really well, thank you. How about you? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, I'm excited to uh, have you today. I, I I cautionally say I'm excited because I don't know what I'm going to find out about myself today with these personality tests and all the things that we're going to talk about today. But but I was uh, turned on to you by your book, uh, Built for Growth. So you and your co-author, John Danner, you guys have got a phenomenal book here, and I'm excited for our listeners to get to hear your message today. So, uh, so thanks for joining us. So, why don't you just take our listeners back, if you can, Chris, and just kind of give us a little lay of the land of what's made Chris Keeney the man he is today. Well, thank you. That's quite a broad question. Um, I, uh, I, I'm an entrepreneur turned uh, professor at Princeton turned investor, and maybe I could just briefly touch on each of those things. I absolutely. Start- Started my career at Johnson Johnson and had the thrill of running the Band-Aid brand and then the Tylenol brand. And while I was in marketing, I discovered a, an opportunity to do marketing better. And so I started a company called Rosetta and built that business from zero to about $250 million and sold it for a little less than $600 million six years ago. And uh, then made sure it was in good hands over a couple of years and uh, went back to my alma mater and was asked to teach a course called High Tech Entrepreneurship, which uh, is one of the true highlights of my life. Rubbing shoulders with brilliant Princeton students is just a thrill. And then I also take uh, that which we learned in building Rosetta to invest in companies like uh, the, the company I built. Uh, and so we're in constant search of promising technology teams who are building marketing solutions like we did at Rosetta. Uh, and then uh, and then I decided to write a book about it all. And that's uh, that's how we got connected. Uh, Built for Growth reflects things that I learned in building a business, things I've learned in teaching uh, and things I've learned in investing. That's amazing. I can't imagine taking a company and uh, selling it for what you sold it worth. That's, that's obviously was your baby and you put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into that thing. So I'm sure we'll dive into a lot of the learning there. But talk to us about the book Built for Growth and, uh, and you know, it's how building par- uh, personality shapes your business, shapes your team and it's your ability to win. And uh, talk to us about that book. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Brett. Just one step back to to answer that question holistically. So one of the things that's always fascinated me about business is the intersection of commerce, selling stuff to people, and what makes them tick, the sort of humanity of decision making. And it was really this interest that became the, the core of building Rosetta, uh, and then is really the core of what the book is about. So I've always been interested in why people do what they do. What, how does their underlying wiring diagram of attitudes and actions and beliefs and behaviors actually shape who they are and how they lead? So one of the guys that I teach with at Princeton, my co-author, John Danner, and I were sitting around after a long semester. We were literally sitting in the, uh, 
in the faculty club talking about students and what went right and what went wrong in the class. And we started to wonder, are all entrepreneurs the same? You know, is there a single formula for being a successful entrepreneur? Do you have to be like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk? Or are there different patterns? Are there different personalities of success? And so we took the the methodology of Rosetta, which we'd used to understand consumers, and we applied it to very successful entrepreneurs to figure out if there was one pattern of success or multiple patterns. And in fact, we found that there are four distinct personalities of very successful entrepreneurs. And I'd be glad to, to review those with you when, when it makes sense. Absolutely. Well, I'd like to dive into that now. And so I, I told you before we started recording, I, I was a driver. And so that's that's the first one on your list. That's the one, uh, you know, everybody that listens to this podcast knows I love Steve Jobs. So, of course, you can imagine when you said you compared the driver to Steve Jobs. I was like, holy smokes, that's going to be good or it's going to be bad. So, or, or perhaps talk, both. <laughs> exactly, right? So talk to us about the driver. Yeah, yeah. Th- thanks, Brad. And, and this is near and dear to my heart because I'm a driver also. Um, so, so uh, and, and I think we both aspire to be as successful driver as, uh, as Steve Jobs is. But uh, absolutely. So, so the core uh, characteristic of a driver um, is that he or she really feels like they came out of the womb. They were ready to go to be entrepreneurs. They see being an entrepreneur sort of as their destiny. And, and the reason they see it as their destiny is they believe that they have an ability to understand what the market really wants, perhaps even before the market knows it. And with an intuition about what we entrepreneurs call product market fit, what's the idea and how is it going to serve the consumer or the customer better than today? And so with that confidence, like Steve Jobs had about, you know, the Apple, Apple II, the uh, iPod, uh, and then everything that followed in the sort of Steve Jobs 2.0, you see this intuitive sense of market understanding and then an intense drive to make it so, to create a product, a team, a company, and ultimately a game-changing uh, platform like Apple. So the driver, what would you say is the biggest strength of the driver and what's the biggest weakness of the driver? Yeah, so, so the biggest strength is this passion to serve the market better with a better idea. That passion, that drive can alienate others. And so what the driver needs to watch most importantly is that he or she needs to go from driving to listening, to really getting a sense of, is the message landing? Is he alienating? Is he chasing other people off the road? Um, So the driver attracts a lot of like-minded people early in building his or her business But as the business scales, it's harder to work for a driver who stays a driver because businesses don't scale as a result of one highly energetic person. It's teams upon teams who are motivated to get at the vision of that driver. So it's very important that the driver move from being the kind of solo practitioner dominating the field to really being a source of inspiration for others. Yeah, I think, too, one of the things I took away from reading it was, you know, when if and when you do fall, most people will fall, is a driver is one of those people. They're just they're not going to get you know disillusioned about it. They're just going to pick up the pieces and keep going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really important point. And we have a couple of uh, of great war stories in the book of 
people doing exactly as you just described. And and so this is a real strength. They, they get back up on the horse. They have so much passion and such drive to be successful um, that, that, that they're ready to get at it when they, when they fall. And so the second one are, uh, so I was the driver. The second one is the explorer and that's uh, Kate Solberger, our COO for the firm. She's the explorer. Talk to us about the explorer. It's great to have an explorer as a COO. In fact, that's really almost the ideal role for an explorer. Explorer is defined by her or his system thinking. So they see everything as a system and they have a kind of engineering mind that tries to get at how does the system work and then how can I get the system to work better? So someone in charge of the operations of a business is, is ideally uh, ideally a, a, an explorer. It doesn't have to be, but an explorer can be a very good COO because they have this systematic approach to looking at problems, building processes, and, and, um, and scaling businesses. And so what would you say, again, same question as the driver, what's the strength, what's the weakness there? The explorer's strength is really this... Um, this ability to identify opportunities in the system to make it work better. Um, one of the things, uh, examples that we use in the book is Drew Houston, the, the founder of, of Dropbox. What's amazing about the launch of Dropbox is it was like the 20 or 30th um, player to the game of cloud storage, yet he found a flaw in the way the other cloud storage companies were approaching the business. Um, and he built that, uh, built a better solution uh, and with his systems thinking was able to get a rabid, uh, rabid adoption. So the strength is, is a, an ability to identify uh, opportunities for improvement, potentially entire new opportunities for businesses. Um, the challenge for the explorer is that he or she's very hands-on. They have high expectations that the rest of the world sees the, the world the way he or she does, um, and is a bit impatient with those who are less systematic. Um, and so uh, often explorers attract fellow explorers, uh, particularly early in a business. But, but here again, a, a business needs to scale with all the personalities. You had mentioned before we got going that you have each of the personalities represented on your team. That's a great tribute to you as, as a leader. Um, uh, many leaders don't have the courage to bring such a heterogeneous group of folks together. So explorers need, need to do just as you've done and make sure they bring other skill sets and mindsets to, to the table. And so our next one is the Crusader. So our president, Tim Hammett, our chief strategy officer, Mark Schlafly, and our director of business development, Janet Gregoric, those three are all the the crusaders right they're they're in the weeds they're pulling their sleeves up every day i mean that's what they do and do a, a darn good job of it and uh, so we were excited to see those three who work very closely together they're crusaders tell us about that yeah yeah so crusaders wake up in the morning trying to make the world better um, they are very mission focused so driver is product focused uh, explorer is system focused Crusader is mission focused. So they are looking for a mission. Uh, they get tremendous energy from defining a mission that's going to make the world, make a market, make a product, make a person, a relationship at any level of abstraction. They are very motivated uh, to, to try to make the world better. And so they're particularly good at um, forging compassionate relationships. They're trusting, they're trusted. They really care very deeply about people. 
Um, and one of their challenges is sometimes they carry uh, care almost a little too much about people. So they can be, I don't know if your three colleagues are, but they can be a little conflict avoidant. Uh, they may sometimes dodge having the tough conversation um, because they have built such a, an impassionate uh, relationship with, with the people they work with. And what would you say the strengths and weaknesses are of those folks? And, and let's be very specific on the weaknesses. So when I talk to them later, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so what would you say the strengths and weaknesses are of the crusader? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that this this ability to forge relationships is very important to them and very valuable. So, so people follow crusaders. Um, they literally, that's why we call them the crusader. They'll fire follow them into the fire and then back out. Um, but there are times when the company grows faster than the, the employee does. Uh, and so the crusader has a tough time letting people go. Um, having that hard conversation that says, uh, you know, Jane or Joe, um, you know, I'm afraid there's not a place for you to work here anymore um, because uh, we need a different skill set. So, so they really kind of sh- shy away from those kinds of conflicts. Got it. And so the last one, uh, our chief investment officer, John Fisher, is the captain. Yeah. Talk to, talk to us about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking a lot about the captain as I was watching the Super Bowl. We saw just such incredible leadership between uh, actually both quarterbacks and certainly both coaches. Um, now, where, where you live, who are you rooting for? Yes. Yes. We live right between them. I, I am probably the only person in the state of New Jersey or within 50 miles of Philadelphia that was actually rooting uh, for the Patriot. Uh, so I did that quietly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But, but the captain um, is, is ignited by his ability or her ability to inspire the team. They really see business as a platform to tap the inner productivity, the, the, the abilities of the team. So they lead from behind. Uh, it's all about the team. Uh, it's not about the product or the mission or the system. Uh, it's really about the team. And so... Um, you know, some people ask us, you know, is it better to be one type or another? You don't really have a choice. It's sort of like choosing your parents. You are who you are. Right. Um, but, but captains can teach the other three uh, builder types really a lot about leadership because they are always, always thinking about leadership. Um, the, the downside for the captain is sometimes they don't think broadly enough. Sometimes they kind of follow the team when what they really need to be doing is thinking more independently um, and, and thinking uh, perhaps radically or disruptively. So captains tend to be a bit conservative with respect to business strategy and action. Which that's good, I guess, conservatively when it's your chief investment officer. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. So, so we're glad that John is that way. So um, let's – so. The book, Built for Growth, you can buy it obviously anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all that stuff. Um, tell our listeners the website, where they can find more about it, and where they can take the test. Yeah, sure. Thank thank you for the question, Brett. So so we have a website uh, at www.builtforgrowth.com, all one word, builtforgrowth.com. And uh, there, there's a lot about the book there. There's a 10 simple questions that take less than two minutes to fill out. In fact, we've had more than 25,000 people fill out our little uh, 10 question quiz. 
And then what you get back is quite a bit of detail about what your builder personality is. And then a lot of the stuff, Brett, you and I've been talking about here in terms of um, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your watch outs? How do you grow yourself and how do you grow your company? Well, I think it's great for those leaders out there, too. To, to, I highly recommend your leadership team read the book. Um, trust me, Chris did not pay me to say that. I, I really mean that. And read the book. Have your entire team take the take the quiz, the test. And what's I like what you have is, one, you talk about who the person is, right? So if I'm a driver, here's everything you need to know about yourself, right? But then I think the next step was, how do I work with a different type of person, right? And that was really crucial for our team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we, we believe that there are um, several uh, very important questions every business team really needs to confront. So who should be on the team? Uh, if you're starting a business, who are your co-founders? Uh, who, who are your employees and how do you actually choose your team members? It turns out that um, th there's, a, there's a pattern of success and failure for each one of these types in terms of who they tend to hire and who they tend to work better with and, and where they tend to have challenges. Uh, and then and then, who should you choose as your investors if you're starting a company or, or growing a company, accelerating its revenue, and you need to bring inside, outside capital in? Uh, who's the right kind of investor? What's their mindset? Are they aligned with your personality and your vision? Uh, and so we go through in great detail each of, each of these um, kind of core questions that a business builder needs to worry about. And then we pull the lens all the way back and we say, okay, so that's a way to think about perhaps making those decisions better, then how do you make yourself better? And, and we end the book with a, a hypothesis that there are two paths to growing yourself. You want to grow your business, you want to grow your team, and of course, all of us want to grow ourselves. And so at the end of the book, we talk about two strategies uh, to grow yourself, what we call the expert builder strategy and the master builder strategy. Well, let's uh, let's turn the page, no pun intended here, if we can, and let's talk about you don't just grow a company from zero to $250 million and then, uh, you know, thankfully and being blessed, get to sell that for almost $600 million. That, that's that's a lot of dough. And so what was the one thing that you would you'd say, if you could share with our listeners, the one thing, if there is just one thing that you learn during the journey, not not the end, right, but the journey of building such a powerful company? Yeah, yeah. Th thanks for that question. Um, and I, 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 I would say that I ask my question myself that question almost every week. Uh, <laughs> I get the chance to to talk about uh, variations in that question in my class at Princeton, and then I get the chance to talk to uh, aspiring uh, business builders and companies we may invest in. So, so um, it, it's very much Brett what we've been talking about. So, what really made Rosetta go was was my idea behind this thing we call personality-based marketing, being able to understand the consumer down at the personality level. Um, but, but unfortunately, like a driver, I became so focused and so obsessed over that insight that I could have done a better job, particularly as we went from about six or 700 people to about 1,200 people. So when you're at that size, you're managing the people who are managing the people who are managing the people who are doing the work. Um, and um, so if I had to do it all over again, I would have had a lighter touch, a captain's touch 
on strengthening my team. And I guess, you know, in, in, in the sort of full, full disclosure, or true confessions moment, I would say that actually writing this book really helped me to understand some of the places where I missed that opportunity. I was really thinking about that when you said the managers, managing the managers who manage me, I mean, that far down, I mean, because right now, you know, we're a company, we have about 50, 60 people. And it's like, you know, we're still very involved in that stuff. So I can't imagine growing something where it's not that you don't know them, but you're not seeing them and talking to them every single day. Yeah, it's such an important point you're making. In fact, we talk to a lot of companies that are at your stage and then then a little bit bigger. And we, we think the inflection point happens at about 100 people or when you get to kind of two or three um, different offices where, where people aren't all, you know, it's either 100 people in the same place or, you know, 60, 70, 80 people across two or three locations. And it's exactly what you just said, Brett. It's that moment where you don't know and don't have a deep relationship with each person. So your ability to transmit your vision really needs to be embedded in the culture because you can't be the only uh, voice or you can't be the only method by which people get culture, process, beliefs, mission, and so on. Yeah, I think that's you're right on. I mean, with the multiple offices, we have you know three, soon to be four offices here locally in the St. Louis area. We have one in Florida and it is. It's very difficult, right? And so Chad Opal, managing director of our Edwardsville office, he and I were just talking about that. We went from seeing each other every single day, you know, the old high five in the hallway type stuff, the, you know, say hey at the at the copy machine, whatever it may be, to now, you know, we can go four or five weeks without seeing each other. Yeah. And it's a different type of relationship. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so that one of the things John and I write about in the book is it's that moment when you go from self to system. Where, you know, when you can high five and, and, and you know, meet at the coffee maker and, and, and have a bunch of sort of informal connections, it can be kind of emanating from self, meaning you. Um, but then there's a point at which you have to do everything that you were doing through the system as opposed to through you directly. And, and going back to, to the personalities and the fact that... Um, uh, that, that your uh, I think it was your COO is an explorer. This is where having an explorer help take a driver's vision and turn it into a system can be very helpful. That's great feedback. Looks like we got a new project to work on. Um, <laughs> talk to me about the habits that you, I'm a big habit guy. And so talk to me about the habits that have made you successful throughout your life, throughout your career. Uh, you know, is it a morning ritual? Is it a, an evening ritual once everybody's in bed? I mean, what were the habits that made you successful? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so funny you ask this question because uh, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Maybe it's uh, sort of New Year's resolution or New Year's. In, in- <laughs> right. Um, so I'm a big workout guy. Uh, I think I'd be a raving lunatic if I didn't work out somewhere between four and sometimes even five days a week. Uh, I'm at the point where my body probably can't work out six or seven days a week, but I get up in the morning and, and work out. Uh, both cardio and, and weights. And it just, it, it creates a sort of recalibration for me. You know, everybody says I had this idea in the shower. Uh, well, I think that having the idea on the treadmill or, or, or on the bench, um, it really, it just sort of opens up your creativity and your sensitivity, at least it does for me. So yeah. or, or, and what time do you wake up in the morning? I'm a, I'm a kind of 6 a.m., 6.15 guy. Uh, okay. I, I will admit that as I cross into my late 50s, that's kind of reaching more toward quarter <laughs> <seven>. <laughs> Right. 
And maybe the kids are a little older, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. I don't have to rush and get them off to school. They, they take care of that themselves. So so working out is definitely something. Um, the, the uh, I'm going to go to, because a lot of people say that one. Here, here's a little one um, that, that is just a complete religion for me, which is every time I talk with someone, a client, a potential employee, I always follow up with an email or a note. Um, and I think in this modern day of, you know, run and gun, um, people forget to do little things like that. And it has such an amazing impact on, uh, on first, it just, it sort of captures the momentum from the meeting or the discussion. And there's just a sort of pragmatic level that it keeps things moving. Um, but it also allows you to kind of reinforce that you care. Um, and so uh, I would say um, that's a that's a little uh, behavior that I is, is very much part of my I guess it's part of my upbringing. It's part of part of how I operate. Yeah. So do you um, I'm looking at my my 10 year old in here is unfortunately sick within here me with me today. So Drew and I, we have a little deal. We do headspace. If you ever done meditation or anything like that, he and I will do that a lot together. Oh. Are you a believer in meditation or any of those kind of things? You know, my wife does meditation, uh, probably so she can stay married to me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh, but no, I, uh, I, I really admire the fact you do that. And my gosh, Drew, way to go, dude. Uh, starting to do <laughs> meditation at nine or 10 years old is really impressive. Um, so perhaps I'll add that to my repertoire, but it, but it isn't, uh, isn't today. All right. Well, I found in the fast paced world we live in, it's kind of nice just to slow down sometimes and take some deep breaths and, uh, and get clear. So, so what, what do you think drove you the most over your career? Was, was it your, you know, your vision? Was it, uh, just the, the, uh, the pure drive? I want to be successful. Was it a, a lifestyle choice family? What was it? Yeah, um, so I have a have an executive coach that I've been working with for years, and this is something that we talk about uh, every Tuesday morning um, uh, because it, it's very much sort of who I am as a person. Um, I I uh, was very lucky to grow up in a in a quite an. I grew up in Princeton, also in an affluent town, but my my parents were academics, so um, I had in many respects the best of both worlds. I had the the sort of scholarship at home, and then I had uh, some of the privilege of being in a in a very wealthy community, and I think that growing up experience um, fused for me uh, the importance of living a life of impact. Um, and since I was about twelve years old, I really, you know, I, I saw my dad have an impact. He was an economics professor at Princeton, and I saw him have an impact on his field, on his students. Uh, on the university. Um, and, and then I saw my friend's parents, my best friend's dad was actually chairman of Johnson & Johnson. And so I saw him have an impact in the corporate world. And so I, I just was incredibly motivated to, to try to live a life of purpose and impact. And, and I would say that that's what still gets me up at 6.15 in the morning. Yeah. And were you a planner? Like, were you a guy that had business plans or life plans? And, yeah, and- yeah. Sort of to a nauseating degree. <laughs> <laughs> and what was that process that you went through? So, if, you know, you're talking to our listeners right now. I'm a I'm a huge believer in plans and, you know, I've got the binders and pictures in them and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, maybe for somebody that, that's not that way, what would you what would you recommend? How do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's actually uh, a, a simple way to kind of get over the inertia of not doing it. 
um, which is, I think, uh, one aspect of your question. And that is, you, if you can imagine an outcome that you want, um, you know, and it could be it could be a really big outcome, like, you know, I want to um, have a big family or have a big house or I want to be uh, governor of the state or I want to be head of a school or whatever it is. But I think it starts really with um, what is that that audacious goal where you say, you know, if I achieve that, I would feel really fulfilled. Um, and and I think if you start with that and, you know, uh, Stephen Covey and others always talk about start with the end in mind. Um, but I think you really need to figure out what that is because that becomes your energy source. That becomes your true north. So when it's not going well or you have to work really hard or you have to, you know, get the train back on the tracks, you know you're doing it for that reason. And then you take that goal and you just break it down into the little pieces. Um, and there's nothing more satisfying as a fellow planner. I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, but there's nothing mm-hmm. more satisfying than having a plan and achieving your first milestone. That, I mean, that's just incredible, right? It's huge. Well, it just confirms, right, everything you wrote down on paper. And then you see it and you're like, holy smokes, I wrote this down, you know, 12 months ago. And then you did it. It's, it's a feel good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, you know, the, one of the popular phrases for what you and I are talking about here is agency. And it's something we try to teach our kids, you know, to have agency, to have that sense of self-control and, and, and um, to, to have the uh, aspiration turned into plan, turned into accomplishment. And, and I'm sure, Brett, you've had a lot of this given your success that it's it's sort of self-perpetuating. You know, you, you get to the, as you just said, the the year mark and you look back and you say, darn, I accomplished it. In some cases you don't accomplish it. In some cases you blow it away, but you then get better and better at this plan, do, refine, continue. Yeah. And I, I was one of those people that was quietly rooting for Tom Brady as well. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Brady fan, man. I think he's the greatest of all time. And I've got his book. I read his book. I've watched, you know, Tom versus time on Facebook. I mean, <laughs> got my man crush on Tom Brady. Right. And, and so today I thought it was really cool. So he, you know, he's been pretty silent since they got beat and, and yeah. you know, rightfully so, but he posted on Instagram today, um, you know, long post, but at the end of the day, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful. Right. I'm filled with gratitude and he thanks so many different people. And I think gratitude, right. If you really try to think about being mad and being thankful at the same time, it's impossible. Right. And so going down that path, I mean, is that something when you looked at your life too, because you had tough days, right. Doing what you're doing now, or even at the university or building Rosetta, I mean, you have those tough days. So how did you power through those? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think gratitude is very, very important. Um, and, and, and with gratitude or sort of gratitude's cousin is, is a sense of humility because, you know, you realize that um, luck plays an important role. Um, mentors play a huge role. Um, and you, you just aren't doing this on your own, um, depending on your, you know, spiritual or, or faith, faith views. Um, you can believe that it's it's a force uh, beyond us, um, or you can believe it is a force in the form of a friend, a mentor. Right. Uh, but but we're certainly not doing this stuff on our own. And so, taking the time. This goes back to writing the kind of follow up note. You know, taking the time to to really 
thank people who've been helpful to you along the way. I, at the end of each semester, I get a few notes. And then over the years, I get more notes from students who just talk about what they learned in the class. And I got to tell you, it, it's just, it makes my whole day realizing that I, I was helpful to them. And it makes me also realize how many people were helpful to me along the way. Yeah. What, what advice would you have for that leader out there that's, that's working on culture, right? You're trying to build the culture or you've got a great culture. Like I feel like we're blessed with a great culture here at visionary, but you know, what are some things you have found the best leaders or yourself have done to build that culture? Yeah. So, so this is the big question, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and arguably of all the great questions you've asked me, I think it's actually the hardest one and I, I may be the least qualified to do it. Right. But I'll, I'll give it I'll give it a shot um, because it's a very, very important question. So I, I think culture really starts with what are if you're the leader, the founder uh, of the company, it really starts with your personal beliefs. Um, and and one of the things that I've found is that that whatever your personal beliefs are, um, people want to understand those and align with them or discover they're not aligned with them and go work somewhere else. But they're really signing up to work for you personally in your set of beliefs. And so if you can transmit what you believe into the culture, um, you're, you're well on your way. And there are a number of places where you do that. So one of the places you do that is how you hire people and how you onboard them and how you reward them and how you fire them. All those things say so much about your value system uh, and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so um, I think that's sort of a starting point. Um, there are people who are much wiser on this culture building issue than I am, but I think it's really self transmission to system and people. Um, and then you do it every day um, or you screw it up. Uh, every day. Right. Right. I think too, it's important. The, the, I had this aha moment, maybe, I don't know, I've got four kids and I was in my youngest room and he's got this little train, right? That's they're little, they're little trains that connect to the next little train, right? And they're magnets. Yep. And, and, you know, if they go, if it's the right train, they're going to connect immediately. Yep. If it's the wrong train, they're going to repel each other. Right. Yep. And so I thought, gosh, that's a lot like a vision right? That's a lot like a culture. That's a lot like your mission and values, right? right. And so it's either going to attract people or it's going to repel people just like that train in my three-year-old's room, right? Yeah. And for me, that was a huge moment. And when you, when you think about that as a culture, no matter what it is, believe in your culture, talk about the culture, right? And, yeah. and people are either going to be attracted to it or repelled from it. Yep. Absolutely. I think it's really well said. I like the train analogy. Right. Thank you. Let's talk about real quick the circuits of success. When you hear these words, what comes to mind first? When you hear the word attitude, what do you think about? It's the thing that drives your actions. I think your attitude is your underlying wiring diagram that drives your actions. And 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 my attitude, you know, to make that more personal instead of clinical, you know, my attitude is try really hard be creative, encourage others, seek impact. Mm, I like that. Seek impact. And I think too, you would agree the attitude is so crucial because how, how many people have you met in your career that 
have a bad attitude for an extended period of time and are still successful. Yeah. Yeah. Like nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I feel sorry for people who have a bad attitude. It feels like they're missing a key part of life. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. So talk about the belief systems. What are those belief systems you feel have made you successful over your career? Like that nobody can change these core beliefs about, uh, about you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think trying hard, uh, more than being good at something, trying hard is just so important to me. Um, I'm, I'm inspired. I mean, this is why Brady is amazing. This is why, you know, Roger Federer is amazing. Um, uh, you know, I don't know uh, how, how long you've been watching football, but, you know, Jerry yeah. Rice was amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, these people who, and, and, and Tom Brady, of course, is like the ultimate example of this, right? We've all seen that that YouTube of, of him running the 40-yard dash oh, yeah. and, and how unathletic he looks. It was unbelievable. And, and, then, and then Belichick's interview uh, this past fall by saying, you know, Brady's just not that good an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> but then he goes on to say there's nobody more focused. So, so, and focus is really just a manifestation of trying hard. So I think trying hard, which you now is popularly described as grit, these days and there's a great book about grit but i think absolutely that that one is just the the granddaddy of them all that's the most important of all of them and so when you uh take the third circuit is uh, action so when you hear that word action i think that's that goes in line with those beliefs right that grit but maybe what was that one thing when you're in the building mode of your company that you needed to do every single day without fail yeah it was to make our clients, so our clients were marketers like Johnson and Johnson and E-Trade and so on, to make their business better, and um, we we competed in in the advertising agency business. And one of the downsides of that industry is that advertising agencies sometimes want to make great advertising, whether it helps the company that they're serving or not. And so it was an absolute religion point for me that we wake up every morning fighting for a basis point of performance improvement for our customers. Um, And everybody got that. We measured it. We rewarded on it. Um, So being monolithically focused on, you know, what's going to help our clients and in so doing, they helped us grow our business. So what would you uh, tell the Chris Keeney of uh, 15 years ago? What advice would you give that young man? (laughs) chill out dude <laughs> it's all gonna be all right yeah. yeah i think i think drivers sometimes get in their own way and I, i'm sure i have and I, I i would agree with that i would agree with that it's like you know if you, did you ever struggle with like what's enough and i don't mean yeah. like from a financial standpoint but just like what's enough yeah yeah exactly exactly in fact my co-author john danner uh we were having drinks one night after we turned in the manuscript and he said uh he said, Chris, I, one of the words that characterizes you is never enough or phrases. <laughs> and so he's a little bit older than I am. So he's outgrown that tendency. And I, yeah. It really got me to pause and think a little bit about why is it that I keep driving, you know? Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think, and I, I think it's really neat, right? Cause obviously you're not, you know, not to get too financial about this stuff, but I would assume, you know, you're, you're not doing all this stuff because you need the dough, you need the paycheck, right? And so that's what I love about entrepreneurs that are driven about purpose, about legacy, about making a difference, right, is 
you're doing this because of an impact that you can make to people. Yes. Yes. And you just, and that's such a wonderful way to say it, Brett. And you, you just use one of my favorite words that we haven't talked about and that's legacy. Um, you know, I think as you kind of cross into your fifties and beyond legacy becomes the impact that, that you're seeking. And it's certainly the impact that I'm seeking. Well, I, I have to ask you this question because we do it on every show. Fear. You hear the word fear. Again, back to your building days and even today, did you put a lot of fears in your mind? You know, my my fears all revolve pretty much around one thing, and that is, what am I missing? Where Where is my bias causing me to miss something? Um and that's a real fear. I mean, sort of, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very real fear. And and some of that is healthy. I may even have a little too much of it, honestly. I think, again, maybe it's the driver thing, but, but I would agree with that. And I think what you just said is your bias to something. I think it's huge, right? Because that's, we can put blinders on and only see something from our perspective, yeah. right? And, and so, therefore, we don't even see the train coming. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I think it's slowing down. It is having like I, I do quarterly. Uh, we do totally quarterly team meetings where we'll go off site. Right. And I think it's let's see where the train's at. Let's see where the train's coming. Right. Everybody knows the SWOT analysis. What's your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, your threats. Where's that train coming from? And if you don't slow down, you won't speed up. And uh, it's, it's crucial for team leaders to do that. But back to those fears, how many of the fears you put in your mind actually came true to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Yeah, almost none of them. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank, right, right? Yeah. And, and again, you're, you know, dozens and dozens of guests, right, have said almost none of them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's huge. So, um, well, that's great. And so when you hear the word vision, what comes to mind? For me, vision is what impact do I want to have? And then how am I going to accomplish it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, where do our listeners find more of Chris Keeney? Well, uh, I'm on LinkedIn much to John Danner's chagrin. I'm really not on Twitter. I'm definitely not on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, not too uh, much on the social media side of things. Yes. Yes. So, uh, so I can be, uh, be found and I'd love to, love to interact with, uh, our readers directly. Um, so um, through the book website uh, and through LinkedIn are terrific ways to connect with us. Uh, my business also has a, uh, a website called, it's Rose, Rosemar Capital uh, is the name of my firm, and it's just rosemark.com uh, to, to learn a little bit more about what we're doing from an investing standpoint. And so if I'm, a, if I'm a listener out there and I'm thinking about trying to find a, you know, would you call yourself a venture capitalist or, a, or an investor? What type, of, what type of businesses are you looking for? Yeah, so we, we um, invest in marketing services and technology businesses and, and, and larger ones. So companies that are in the 30, 40, 50 million dollars in revenue size. Um, uh, so if any of your listeners are running one of those businesses, I'd be delighted uh, to speak with you. Um, uh, but we have sort of evolved away from uh, venture investing. We've done some of that in digital health, but now we're really focused in finding companies that look, frankly, a lot like Rosetta did. We were, when we brought uh, private equity money and we were about $50 million in revenue. And so we're looking for companies like that uh, and to help their management teams grow their businesses. 
Got it. Well, that's great. If anybody's listening, if you need connected, please uh, please look me up. I can help you get connected to Chris. And Chris, it's been an absolute blast having you on the Circuit of Success podcast. Brett, thanks so much. I really enjoyed the chat and uh, I hope you and your family have a wonderful weekend. Hey, you do the same. Thanks so much. Take care. Tune in next week for another episode of the Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 